There are billions of billions of billions of molecules in a drop of water. Trying to understand how they flow would do anyone's head in, but a supercomputer could do it and might just find a better way to clean our drinking water in the process. Welcome to Cosmos Insights, where our newsroom journalists talk with the researchers who are changing our world. I'm Ellen Fidian, and today I'm talking to Professor Deborah Bernhard and Dr. Emily Carl about simulating atoms. Deborah and Emily, thank you both very much for joining us. First up, why are you interested in looking at how atoms move? Okay, so we're interested in looking at, at this because atoms really form the basis of, of all the material we've got around us. It's important for physics, chemistry, engineering, biology. And what we want to be able to do is to, to see how the atoms are combined into molecules and ions and then how they behave will, will determine how everything we, beha- we see at the macro scale behaves but as well, sometimes we need to know how things function at the right down at the molecular level. And things like uh, batteries or supercapacitors or energy storage devices where we've got ions flowing through the system on charge and discharge, uh, that's really important to, to be able to enable us to improve the, the systems that we're looking at. So basically, because the atoms Uh, are what make up everything around us, it's really important to understand how they behave and how they move and how they change when you subject them to some sort of um, different conditions. And you need to use supercomputing to figure out how this all works? Yeah, so the problem is that it requires a lot of very intense number crunching to do. So you can't just get out a pencil and paper or a chalkboard and figure it out. You need to use a computer to do the maths for you. And we need to do a lot of maths. The algorithm we use is called molecular dynamics, and it's a way of simulating this molecular motion. Uh, by First, we look at the forces that each individual particle in our simulation experiences. What we want to do is we want to simulate their motion over some time period. So we take our, our time scale and we divide it up into a series of discrete chunks. They're kind of like snapshots in a movie. And then for each one of these chunks, we need to accurately calculate the forces on all of these particles. And then we use those forces, which could come from interactions with other particles or interactions with the environment, We use those forces to calculate how the velocity of the particles will change using Newton's laws of motion. And then we use those velocities to figure out where the particles should move to inside the simulation. And then we do that every single step iteratively. And once we've finished with that, we can sort of put all the time steps together and we'll have almost like a little movie of how they move. And we can also use those resulting trajectories along with a field of physics called statistical mechanics to let us predict some of the macro scale properties that we're interested in, things like thermal transport, or for one of the projects we're doing with the Pawsey Supercomputing Center, the efficiency of different techniques for desalination and water filtration. But because we need to deal with very, very large systems, and I should specify, large in this case means lots of molecules. It doesn't mean physically large. They can be quite small, quite microscopic systems, but we might be dealing with tens of millions or hundreds of millions of particles, which all need to interact with each other in quite a complex way. And the benefit of supercomputers, like the Satonic system at Pawsey, is 
they're not just like your normal desktop computer, but faster. They get their power from having this thing called a parallel architecture and parallel computing. So the idea is you take your problem that you want to solve and you divide it up into a bunch of little sub-problems and you get the computer to solve each of those in parallel and then combine the results back together at the end. So for our molecular dynamics simulation, we might say split up the box that we're simulating into a bunch of little subdivisions and then that will contain a certain number of particles in each and then we give those subdivisions to different compute components of the supercomputer. They're called like CPU cores or sometimes they're nodes which are sort of a self-contained computer that all work together in parallel. So we give each one of these a different little region of our simulation box, have it do its thing and then they communicate the results and get back together. And so even though we're not solving the subdomains individually that much faster, because we're doing all of them in parallel, it means that we can solve our individual problem much, much faster than we would be able to on a desktop computer. Right. Just to add to what Emily has said, the movies that we make, the frames are just one femtosecond roughly apart. And so to make a movie of one second, one second movie, we need 10 to the 15 frames in order to do that so it's a it's a lot um 10 to the 15 one second is just an impossibility to do on the sorts of systems that we're looking at at this molecular level of course i always think you know we everyone kind of thinks they know what an atom is but just trying to get your head around the sheer number of things you're dealing with at that scale is so difficult yeah a lot of this stuff would be completely impossible to do with just your desktop computer, or even some of the supercomputing systems that were around 10 years ago, even, just because we've had such a huge explosion in computational power. Well, it's exciting times. So if you're doing simulations with a supercomputer, how do you know that it's going to be the same as actual atoms and molecules behaving? Yeah, so... um... We're always using some sort of a model. So everything is is approximate. And what we need to do and where the, the sort of the physics and chemistry knowledge comes into it is knowing which model to use to, to represent what you're doing. So if you use the wrong model, you could do a lot of computing and end up with, with results which really don't match what's going on in reality. Uh, but if we choose the right model... Uh, and we can verify whether it is right or, or not right by doing some test calculations on a similar system where we know what the answers should be. And so that's really important to be able to, to verify that. There are different levels of theory and we know that one level of theory is not good enough, say, to take into account the, the quantum mechanics if we don't have that in our model. So we, we can make some... Um, judgments on whether it's a good model or not based on whether it has the physical or the chemical uh, ingredients in the model. But then after that, we do need to to verify that the um, numerical approximations that we're using are adequate, uh, even like the one femtosecond timescale, depending on what type of model you're you're looking at and, and the approximations you make. You might be able to extend that out a little bit um, if you're if you um, can assume that some of the high-frequency behaviours can be ignored. But, yeah, so knowing whether it's um, going to um, really represent is, is a bit of a balance between understanding the theory and knowing that it's the appropriate model for that system. 
and then also uh, verifying with the experiment. And I guess also, you know, the timescales of, of what, over which the process is happening, there's a real balance between using a, um, a more accurate model, which will represent the, the system in reality, but only being able to look at a very tiny part of the system or look at it a very short time scale. So there's always this balance of, you know, uh, do we want to really very um, precisely monitoring the system or do we will an approximation be okay? And I guess an advantage that we have is that often the properties that we're interested in, not always, but sometimes, are averages over um, the, the, what's happening over many, many molecules. So if we were trying to model um, one of the systems that we're looking at is uh, looking at desalination of uh, water, taking the, the salt out of salty water and producing fresh water, we might be able to just model um, a small amount of that very accurately. But then what we're observing is an average property, which might then average out all the intricacies that, that, um, that are not uh, modelled exactly correctly. Right. So it's the, it's the I guess, the large numbers game to a certain extent. Again, if you've yeah. got lots and lots of small data points, then you can sort of build up a broader accurate picture. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And sometimes those those small numbers are really important. So you might be just interested in observing a single rare event which occurs at a, at a, at a molecular level, but often that's not the case. Right. Okay. Uh, where are you hoping this research is going to lead you next? I think in the, in the near term, what we'd like to do is we're really hoping that the techniques that we come up with and the code that we write as part of this program and that we test on Cetonics, we'll be able to be spread out to the broader scientific community to help everyone in computational chemistry and computational physics have a, a better understanding of how these molecular flow properties work. We don't want it to just be contained and siloed within our little group. We'd like to spread the knowledge that we've learned on the fundamental theory side and the software that we developed to make it appreciable to everybody. And we've also got you know, a goal to model some of these interesting processes in desalination, particularly using certain, you know, new next generation uh, materials beyond just the standard sort of ceramic filters. And we're hoping that we'll be able to deliver some real insights into how these processes work and how they can be optimized and fine tuned by people out in the real world to make sort of these products work better. Yeah, that's right. And and to go into a little bit more detail on the, the actual project that we're working on with Pawsey and using Cetonics is we're looking at the desalination and there's two sort of aspects to that. Um, we're looking at reverse osmosis membranes, which are membranes which um, allow you to, to pass the water through and it excludes the, the ions. And uh, the particular materials we're looking at are graphene oxide flakes, which are, graphene is the honeycomb carbon structure and it's got oxygen groups on it. And what we need to do is to have the um, graphene layers, they're two-dimensional sheets, so we would need them to be on top of each other, have pores in them. And one of the things that we're doing with the modelling is to use flow simulations to see how we can align the sheets nicely on top of each other so that the, you've got these um, porous membranes that can be used for desalination. 
So one way of doing that is to allow these systems to flow and they will attend to they will tend to align each other and stack on each other. So forming those membranes, but then modeling the flow of the water through the membranes uh, using molecular dynamic simulations as well. So allowing it to either pass through with gravity or with a force pushing it through and seeing how uh, those membranes could be designed, different chemistries, different physical structures in order to get really good separation of the, the salt from the, from the water. And so the simulations can provide us insight in that and then hopefully that will inform the, the people who want to um, build them. Right, because reverse osmosis is how desalination currently works, yeah, but this is refining the technique a lot. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's different different ways of doing desalination. Reverse osmosis is one common one. And, right. Um, yeah, and so the... Um, and even graphene has been explored in the past for, for this. But, yeah, we, we're looking into it in more detail, but also looking at this alignment of the, the um, membranes. Cool. It's very exciting. Those were all the questions I had. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I guess, I mean, the importance of these high-performance computing facilities is, you know, we, we couldn't, we really couldn't do anything without them anything meaningful model realistic systems and uh, so that the the facilities the computers themselves and the support that the staff provide in ensuring that these very expensive computers run efficiently meet the environmental um, requirements so the the Satonics computer is one of the top five in the green 500 computers in the world uh, which is really great and, and being able, make, making sure that the users use the facilities that are provided in a, um, the most efficient and productive way is really important. And I think that the Pawsey Centre and other facilities around Australia do really a good job at that. Yeah, and to that effect, one of the really great things about our collaboration with the Pawsey Centre is we've been able to work very closely with their experts on the supercomputing platform. And they've been working with us from day one on the software development side of things to make sure that the code we write is going to take the best possible utilization of this fantastic new supercomputer. And that's been a huge help. It's let us do a lot more stuff that we wouldn't have been able to if it was just us working by ourselves. That's really cool. Well, thank you both very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is produced by the Royal Institution of Australia in Adelaide on Ghana land. The Royal Institution of Australia is a not-for-profit whose mission is to communicate science widely as the key to a better world. We do this through our stories, which are turned into educational resources, teaching the scientists of tomorrow about the science of today in classrooms across Australia. Support us by subscribing to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's leading print science magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, its sister e-publication.